Hello, it's Michelangelo Caruso. Welcome to another episode of the Talk To Me podcast. I'm with Jordana Malik today. Hi, Jordana. Hello. We're going to talk about some work that she did early on in the Ukraine-Russia conflict um, because I've been trying to help people understand what's really happening over there. And it, it's nothing like talking with people who either were involved in some way uh, and not, not as bystanders, but not as people watching the news. Jordana was actively involved and she's got a particular perspective that I think will be very useful to anybody watching today. If you're watching on the Michelangelo Caruso YouTube channel, know that you can listen to any of these interviews while you're on the treadmill, on the Podbean or iTunes platforms. If you're listening on the podcast, you can also watch any of these interviews on my YouTube channel. If you're watching on YouTube, please tap that red subscribe button and ring that silver notification bell so that you are notified of all new content. Jordana, welcome back home. Thank you. I understand through a Rotary friend that you were uh, serving in your post or in your position. I don't know how you talk about the National Guard. You were you were deployed in Kosovo, yeah. in, in Kosovo for a while there, the first, the last couple of weeks of February. And you had a very interesting assignment of something that was a lead up to something that we could never dream that we'd be talking about here on, Feb, on March 23rd. Tell us a little bit about what happened when you got that call, what took you to Kosovo and what you did when you got there. Sure. So I was deployed uh, to Kosovo in June originally, um, and I was there serving as a logistics officer at the NATO headquarters in the uh, in place, you know, Camp Film City, which is the headquarters of Kosovo forces. And in that capacity, I worked with soldiers from 28 different countries. And our mission was to ensure a safe and secure environment in Kosovo. And I was serving there. I was a U.S. soldier, but I was serving in a NATO headquarters in a NATO assignment. Yeah, and you mentioned to me that although we're mentioning a lot of military terms, NATO, et cetera, that it was a personal effort. It was not a military effort. Can you draw this distinction for us? Sure. So when things started to happen in the Ukraine, I worked with a Ukrainian, uh, you know, just there were there were soldiers from lots of different countries and we had soldiers from the Ukraine as well and started talking to them about what could be done. I think like a lot of people all over the world, I was disturbed by what was happening. I wanted to do something. I didn't know what was really needed or what I could do. And in talking to him um, and talking, you know, to the other soldiers I worked with in my chain of command, you know, it became very clear that um, an, a military or NATO response wasn't, you know, wasn't appropriate. That wasn't what we were looking at, but that there was an opportunity in, you know, in soldiers' personal time after the duty day, um, to pull together donations that we could send to the Ukraine through already established humanitarian supply lines that were being stood up really all across Europe to try to move uh, supplies to the locations where they were needed. So working with a senior national representative from the U Ukraine who was assigned to the headquarters with me, uh, we started to 
pull together some supplies and just, you know, ask the other soldiers that we worked with for donations in a very grassroots, you know, pass the hat around the bar kind of manner. And then I started reaching out on Facebook to friends back in the United States. And the response was just overwhelming. I think like me, there was a lot of people that wanted to do something. And through um, the cash that we raised amongst the different nations where I served and the money from the United States and from other nations reached back to their friends and families, we were able to pull together a significant amount of money to purchase items that were needed. It's so interesting to me, all of the nuance and all of the things that are happening beneath the the veneer of the news reports that we see, you know, on our favorite news platforms. Um, here's a here's a bunch of military personnel from all over the world donating their personal time and efforts in the early stages of the conflict to do what they thought was right. We're uh, almost a month later now, NATO is still not involved. A lot of people are confused about that. Tell us why, tell us why, although everybody knows what the right thing to do is, we're not able to do the right thing at this stage yet. So, I mean, I'm certainly not any sort of expert, but from my perspective and you know, the mission that we had in Kosovo was very specific. We had, we were there under resolution 1244. We had a specific thing to accomplish. NATO has a very, you know, a set sorry, of rules sorry, and guidelines. Go on. Resolution 1244 is what? Um, it's a UN resolution about maintaining safety and security in Kosovo. Thank you. And it provided the guidance for the work that NATO was doing in Kosovo and the work that me and the other soldiers that served there. Okay, so that's why you were all there. And then mm -hmm. the Ukraine thing happens. Right, and so so that would be under a different set. You know, Article, Article 5 is, um, you know, this notion that attack on one country is an attack on all, on all those members of NATO. And Ukraine not being a member of NATO is, a significant factor in, you know, all of the people who are way above me <laughs> making the decisions that that they're making about how to respond or what a response should should look like. I understand that that there's a there's an onboarding process, not to get too into the weeds on this, but there's an onboarding process that allows countries to join NATO and that Ukraine was, I don't know, in line to be a member, but they're not officially a member which prevents countries like the United States and other members of NATO from engaging in conflict with Russia because it would be a violation of what? International law, NATO guidelines? How does that work? I mean, I can't speak to the process of Ukraine joining you know, NATO. Um, it, it's not something you know, I'm at all familiar with. Um, but I do know that uh, the countries that belong to NATO are afforded, you know, rights and privileges with regards to that, and those that those that aren't right. don't. Okay, that's my understanding too. Um, let's go back to the the reason everybody was in Kosovo. This this is uh, such an interesting infrastructure. I think something that most people don't understand. If we could call that, you called it a NATO headquarters in Kosovo. Is that correct? 
Well, the it's a NATO mission. So the um, headquarters of that of that mission of the K4, it's referred to Kosovo forces um, is, you know, it's a two star command and you can uh, it rotates. You know, currently there's a Hungarian general um, in charge. Previously, there was an Italian general and um it's, you know, one of several NATO missions that are happening. You know, our higher headquarters is in Naples. We fall under Joint Force Headquarters um, Naples in terms of NATO command. So how many, how many of these hubs are there all over the world? Twelve, two dozen, three dozen? Oh, for all of NATO? I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know they had this kind of structure. That's why I'm asking. No, I think um, you can if you if you were to look up, you know, through Google for lack of but you know, if you went to Joint Force Headquarters, you know, if you look at um, Joint Forces Command, excuse me, um, you know, Naples, you would see, uh, you know, you would see that K four mission. Okay, thank you. Underneath them, and when you say two star command, I'm such a, a two star general. There's a two star general in charge of that hub or that headquarters? Yes. Okay, again, a stupid question. How many stars can a general have? What's the potential there? <laughs> um, I guess ultimately, you know, five, you know, four or five stars, depending. Okay. Um, and I asked the same question. But then you're talking about, you know, hotel. joint chiefs of, joint chiefs of staff level and, you know, well, far, far above me. I ask the same question when I'm in a hotel and they, they brag about being a three-star hotel. I'm like, well, how many stars are there? You know, tell me. I need to know where I stand. All right, so sure, two-star but... command in Kosovo. Um, and what kind of supplies were you getting together at this early stage, the last two weeks of February? So based on the responses that we, um, we had received, uh, baby formula was top on the list. Um, so baby formula, diapers, um, ba like baby food um, as well. We also blankets, cots, um, long underwear, wool socks, as well as military boots and um, sleeping bags, blankets, uh, women's sanitary products. It's interesting how things have played out. We now know that many of those supplies are being used by UK Ukraines that are trapped in underground shelters. They're not able to escape cities like Maripol. Um, it's interesting how they were provided for, pro probably didn't get nearly enough of what they needed, but you guys certainly helped. Wow. So there's, there's logistical distribution points that have been set up along the borders um of ukraine and that so the humanitarian um assistance was destined for those those locations and from right. there it would get distributed um to where a, it was needed there's been a lot made of russia surrounding ukraine on three sides leaving only the poland border open um why didn't the russians just shut off just close off that supply line from poland and make short work of this. Why have they, why do you suppose, and I realize you just may be guessing, by the way, tell everybody your rank in the National Guard. You are. I'm a major. I am, I'm a major in the National Guard. So I don't, I mean, I am not an expert by any means, but, um, you know, Poland certainly being a part of NATO, 
would be, it would be, uh, there would be a different response, um, yes. which who knows? I mean, certainly I have no idea what is happening inside of the mind of the leadership in Russian that is making these choices and decisions, but um, perhaps they are, you know, understood, you know, the response might be different if they were to expand, you know, beyond the borders. Who, who yeah. knows? Yeah, nobody knows. Um, it doesn't stop us from exercising conjecture, you know, and um, I had the occasion to be at a Rotary event last weekend with someone who teaches at a war college. He's a Rotarian. He has a regular job. He's going to be president of his club. We were doing president-select training uh, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we were talking over drinks one night about the end game here and what, what, what seems like it would be possible. Uh, it's such an unusual gambit. Uh, there doesn't seem to be a, a, a win for Putin in any way. I mean, he's already a pariah. They've, they've had uh, uh, crippling sanctions, more uh, being probably being enacted today it's just a, an interesting scenario. What do you have any personal opinion about this? Can you speak about it? You know, I, I think like a lot of soldiers or, you know, everyone probably, I, I lay in bed, you know, at night sort of wondering and fearful of what's next or what, like, what would lead someone to do something like that? And it just, sometimes it just seems too overwhelming to even comprehend. And I think for me, the best way that I could process it was to just try to focus on the Ukrainian soldiers that I was working with and making them feel in some small way that maybe, you know, that they had support or that they felt that there was some support or some assistance and just creating a place, you know, and sending prayers to their families and listening when they wanted to talk and, you know, asking questions when it seemed like they were interested in talking and respecting when they didn't, you know, thankfully, most of the families of the soldiers I was serving with were safe, but, you know, a lot of them were grappling with that decision of do you stay where you are or do you get on the road and try to move your children primarily, you know, to safety somewhere else, because there's risks staying where you are and there's risks to getting on the road. And mm -hmm. I felt like as a parent, you know, I have a 14 year old daughter and I mean, that is an incomprehensible decision in my mind to have to make and to, to weigh that. Many of the soldiers that I served with were part of families that were dual military. So they were serving in Kosovo. Their spouse was a member of the military serving back in Ukraine. And when things started to go awry, you know, there was children that needed to be cared for. And how do you, you know, how do you take care of that when both parents are in the military and, you know, making that decision of when you decide to go, you know, where are you going to go when, where, you know, some soldiers, many of the soldiers had relatives in countries that bordered the Ukraine and they were able to get their children eventually to, you know, an in-law or grandmother, an aunt and uncle, someone, you know, outside of Ukraine where the child, where the children could stay. Yes. 
and some made the decisions to wait it out. But everyone that I spoke with, and I understand, you know, everyone that I interacted with from Ukraine was serving, currently serving in the military, deeply patriotic, deeply committed, did not want their family to be too far away. They yeah. wanted them ready to return once the situation was safe for them to do so. Um, deeply, deeply patriotic to their country. I'm assuming, Jordana, that if you rotated back home, that some of the Ukraine soldiers that you served with in Kosovo have also rotated back home and were no doubt immediately pressed into service. Have you been able to keep in touch with any of them? Um, so currently, the, the soldiers that I work with um, were still in, in Kosovo, but I believe that plans were being made for their return. Okay. And when they get back, it's going to be all hands on deck, you know. Yeah, I'm sure, they'll, sure they will be very busy. Yes, yes. Speaking of day jobs, as we were a bit ago, you are uh, just uh, were elected to town supervisor in a place called Harrietstown, New York, named after who? <laughs> you know, that would be an interesting question. I do not know how our name came to be, but I should, I will definitely have to look into that. Um, yes, I had the privilege of being elected in November while I was serving overseas. It was very uh -huh, unexpected wow. how everything uh, pans out. How did you run that campaign? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of rules about, I'm really grateful to my husband and the people that, you know, the fellow town council members that I was running on the ticket with, um, they did an incredible job of advocating for me. And I'd been working as a council person for the last, you know, four years. So I'm grateful that my community thought highly enough of my work, even in my absence to, to elect me. So I took office in January. Uh, you know, it was a lot of late nights doing my army job during the day and then town council work in the evening. So I'm, I'm fortunate now to be back in the town hall and on a daily basis, talking to people and getting things done. Well, I'm sure you'll be an asset to the people of Harrietstown, just as you're an asset to the National Guard, Major Jordana. I want to close with a quick mention about how important it is to be good neighbors. You know, you mentioned to me before we pressed record today that you are very close to Montreal, Canada. How far? Uh, about an hour and a half, I would say, if that, depending on traffic. Yeah, and the I'm border. here from Rochester, Michigan, about 40 minutes from the Detroit-Windsor border, which is the largest border crossing in North America. And although we've enjoyed a great relationship with Canada through the years, it, it kind of underscores in the context of our discussion about Poland and Ukraine and Russia, how important it is to treat your neighbors well and, and for us to take care of each other. I so appreciate all that you do in your service with the National Guard. It's been my pleasure to speak with you today. Uh, thank you so much for all you do to make the world a better place. Thank you. Thank you, Jordana.